Welcome to Gospel Truth with Andrew Womack, a teaching ministry that focuses on God's unconditional love and grace. You need to see yourself as a steward, not an owner of the money that you have. Once you understand that it isn't your money, it's His money, and then He just blesses us and our finances improved. God really blessed our finances. You can trust God with your money. And now, here's Andrew. Welcome to our Thursday's broadcast of The Gospel Truth. Today, I'm continuing to teach on a subject that I've entitled Financial Stewardship. I have a book on this, study guides. We have a DVD with some testimonies of people that have seen real miraculous uh, financial uh, breakthroughs in their life. And then we have DVDs and CDs. There's actually six teachings in here. And today, I'm starting on the third teaching in this series, and we're going to be talking about the unjust steward from Luke chapter 16. Now, I've used some of Luke chapter 16 in my teachings for the last two weeks, but I've not really gone into this parable that Jesus gave about the unjust steward, and that's what I want to focus on today. Let me just first of all say that the first thing I talked about is that you have to have a steward mentality, not an owner mentality. There's a huge difference between those two. You need to recognize God is your source. You need to be trusting Him and not trusting in the things, the assets, the job that you have. You need to see God as your source. You need to be willing to just literally to say, God, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? And we talked about that. That is really important. And then I talked about that the first step in prosperity is that you've got to start trusting God in this area of finances, and specifically, you've got to start giving. It's one thing to say that you are trusting God, but words are cheap unless there's some action to go with it. And a person who says, oh, I'm trusting God and I would do anything. I I really believe that the Lord is, uh, you know, my Lord, everything perfect. And you can say all of these things, but then if you don't give, then you don't truly trust God. Those are strong statements, but I'm not saying anything that Jesus didn't do. I use those examples in Mark chapter 10, where a rich young ruler came to Jesus, and outwardly he looked good. He ran and fell at the feet of Jesus, but Jesus knew his heart wasn't right. And the way he exposed what was in his heart was by his giving, or lack thereof. He says, if you truly are wanting to accept me and make me your Lord and Savior, then take everything you've got and give it to the poor. And he went away sad. And the Lord turned to his disciples and said, How hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of heaven? Man, that's an amazing statement. And we've got so many people today that are saying that they've made Jesus their Lord, but there's no evidence. If they were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict them. And I tell you, one of the things that sets apart a person who has a true relationship with God versus a person who is just a Christian in name only is their finances. And if you aren't giving, if you aren't tithing and giving even above a tithe, and if you aren't excited about doing as it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 7 where God loves a cheerful giver, well, then you're just blowing smoke. You're just saying things, but it's not real. You can tell about where a person's heart is by their giving. 
And those are some strong statements. And I know that there's people that will be offended by that and disagree with it, but I, that's exactly what all of this teaching that I've been doing. I've been using what Jesus did and the way He dealt with this rich young ruler in Mark chapter 10. And I dare you to go read Mark chapter 10, verses 17 on down through verse 30 and come to a different conclusion than what I've just said. I know that this isn't popular. I know that today we just do everything we can to reach as many people as possible, and we get them just to pray a quick prayer, and we don't want to put many restrictions on it and say, be really committed to God because that might drive somebody off. We'll get them later. Just let's get them in the family, and then later they'll grow into these things. But Jesus said that there's no man that begins to build a city that doesn't sit down first and consider whether he has sufficient resources to be able to do it. Or there's nobody who goes out to battle, no king that goes to battle that doesn't sit down and decide, do I have enough uh, resources and men and power to be able to win this? And he said, likewise, so all of you that do not forsake everything that you have and to come into the kingdom, you aren't worthy to be my servant. The church isn't preaching those kind of things today, but that's what Jesus taught. And this is one of the problems that we have in the body of Christ. Now, the true body of Christ, people that have a true relationship with God and are born again, that's a different thing. But Jesus taught that there's a lot of tares among the wheat. And in the last days, there would be many people that says, Lord, Lord, but they do not the things that I say. We have a lot of people today that claim to be Christians. But as I said, if they were arrested for being a Christian, there wouldn't be enough evidence to convict them. I've seen Barna surveys that something like 60-something percent, 68% or something like that, of the American population claims to be born again. They claim to have a personal relationship with the Lord. But not everybody who claims that has a true relationship. And so George Barna has come up with a series of questions that they ask, like how often do you study the Word? How often do you go to church? Do you tithe? Do you believe that there is a real God and a real devil, that heaven and hell? And they ask a number of questions, and from these questions they come with people who have a relationship with God, not just Christian in name only, and the number drops way down from like 68% down to 30-something percent. In other words, there's a large segment of people who claim to have a relationship with God, but it's not real. And as Jesus said, Jesus said, many are going to say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Not that I knew you and you fell away from me, but I never knew you. They were Christians in name only. There's people watching this program right now that you consider yourself to be a Christian. I've actually had a person before, I asked them, I said, are you a Christian? And I've had people pull coins out of their pocket and say, well, yes, right here it says, in God we trust. And they think that because in the United States we have in God we trust on our coins and on our bills, that that makes you a Christian. You know, that doesn't make you a Christian. Going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage would make you a car. You know, if you're a car, get in the garage for your own protection. If you are a Christian, go to church. But going to church doesn't make you a Christian. You have to have a personal relationship. And I'm saying that there are people watching this program that you have deceived yourself into thinking that you are a Christian because your parents were a Christian. But you know, God doesn't have any grandkids. Every single person has to have a personal relationship with the Lord. 
And one of the ways that you can tell, it, am I really trusting God or am I a Christian in name only? Look at your giving. If you aren't trusting God in this area, Jesus said that that's the least area of using your faith. And if you can't do that which is least, you can't do that which is greater. This is an important issue, and I'm telling you, I believe that it's possible for a person to be born again and yet not trusting God in this area of giving. And the only reason it's possible is because the Bible says, Romans 10, 17, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And since we haven't been preaching the truth about finances from the Word of God, there's some people who have received salvation because they've heard the truth about that and they have received it and they are born again, but they don't have faith in this area of finances because it hadn't been taught. But that's abnormal. That's not the way that it's supposed to be. If a person has heard the teaching on finances and if you know what the Word says about it and yet you still aren't giving, then I would question whether you are truly committed to the Lord because you can't be just... You can't just cherry-pick scriptures and say, oh, I'm going to trust this passage over here in Romans 10, 9, that if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart God raised Him from the dead, I shall be saved. I'm going to believe that one, but I disbelieve this one, that if I give, it will be given back unto me. I'm just going to pick and choose which I want. That's not true salvation. And these are some strong statements. Here in the 16th chapter of Luke, Jesus gave a parable, and he said unto his disciples, There was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. You know what that's saying right there? That's an admission that he was guilty because he knew that when the uh, master looked at the books, he was going to realize that he had been stealing money from him. And so he says, I'm going to lose my stewardship. So this was an admission of guilt. And then he says, I cannot dig to beg. I'm ashamed. You know, this always amazes me. He said he was ashamed to beg, but he wasn't ashamed to steal. It's amazing to me how people have selective memories or selective conscience about what's right and what's wrong. He should have been ashamed to be an unfaithful, an unjust steward. He should have been ashamed to steal money from his master. But he says, I'm ashamed to beg. It's amazing. He should have been ashamed to be dishonest. And he also says, I cannot dig. I doubt very seriously that he was physically impaired and couldn't physically have done it. What he was saying was, I, this is beneath me. I don't want to do this. And I meet people like this all of the time, that, you know, they are waiting on some executive position. And maybe they are qualified. Maybe they've done that in the past. But nonetheless, they're out of a job. And rather than take something that will pay the bills and help them in the interim, doesn't mean you don't keep believing for some better job, uh, but while you're in process, there's people that just won't work at Walmart. They won't take a menial job or something like that. And because of it, they put themselves in a bind and get into all of this debt and all kinds of things happen. I tell you, you need to work. If you don't work, you don't eat is what it says in Second Thessalonians chapter 3. And then this uh, servant went on to say, he said, I am resolved what to do. 
THAT WHEN I AM PUT OUT OF THE STEWARDSHIP, THEY MAY RECEIVE ME INTO THEIR HOUSES. SO HE CALLED EVERY ONE OF HIS LORD'S DEBTORS UNTO HIM, AND SAID UNTO THE FIRST, HOW MUCH OWEST THOU UNTO MY LORD? AND HE SAID, A HUNDRED MEASURES OF OIL. AND HE SAID UNTO HIM, TAKE THY BILL AND SIT DOWN QUICKLY AND WRITE FIFTY. IN OTHER WORDS, HE DISCOUNTED THE DEBT THAT THIS MAN OWED TO HIS MASTER BY 50%. IN THE NEXT ONE IT SAYS, THEN SAID HE TO ANOTHER, AND HOW MUCH OWEST THOU? AND HE SAID, A HUNDRED MEASURES OF WHEAT. AND HE SAID UNTO HIM, TAKE THY BILL AND WRITE four score. HE DISCOUNTED HIS BILL 20%. AND IT SAID HE CALLED EVERY ONE OF HIS LORD'S DEBTORS. FOR THIS MAN TO HAVE A STEWARD OVER HIS FINANCES, HE PROBABLY HAD MORE THAN TWO PEOPLE THAT OWED HIM MONEY. I BELIEVE THESE ARE JUST TWO EXAMPLES OF HOW HE DISCOUNTED PEOPLE'S BILLS, BUT HE PROBABLY CALLED IN MAYBE 50 OR HOWEVER MANY PEOPLE, uh, YOU KNOW, HIS MASTER HAD OWE HIM MONEY. AND WHAT HE DID, HE DISCOUNTED THEIR BILLS AND BASICALLY JUST WROTE OFF SOME OF THE DEBT. YOU KNOW, I DON'T KNOW WHAT 100 MEASURES OF OIL WAS WORTH, 100 MEASURES OF WHEAT, BUT IT COULD HAVE BEEN THE EQUIVALENT OF THOUSANDS OR TENS OF THOUSANDS OF DOLLARS THAT HE JUST DISCOUNTED. HE SAYS, IF YOU WILL SIGN THIS NEW CONTRACT, I'LL REDUCE WHAT YOU OWE BY 50%, BY 20% OR WHATEVER. AND SO THIS MAN WAS STILL STEALING MONEY FROM HIS MASTER. BUT INSTEAD OF PUTTING THAT MONEY IN HIS POCKET, HE WAS PUTTING IT IN THE POCKETS OF PEOPLE THAT OWED HIS MASTER MONEY. AND HERE'S THE LOGIC BEHIND IT. IN VERSE 4, I'M RESOLVED WHAT TO DO THAT WHEN I AM PUT OUT OF THE STEWARDSHIP, THEY MAY RECEIVE ME INTO THEIR HOUSES. YOU KNOW WHAT HE DID? HE BASICALLY WAS BUYING FAVOR FROM THESE PEOPLE. HE KNEW HE WAS GOING TO BE FIRED BECAUSE HE WAS GUILTY. SO WHAT HE DID, HE TOOK THE MONEY THAT HE WAS OVER, HIS MASTER'S MONEY, AND BASICALLY STARTED GIVING IT AWAY TO THESE PEOPLE, GIVING THEM THE EQUIVALENT OF THOUSANDS, TENS OF THOUSANDS OF DOLLARS WORTH OF DISCOUNTS, SO THAT WHEN HE WAS FIRED, HE COULD COME KNOCK ON THEIR DOOR AND SAY, I WAS FIRED AND I'M IN TROUBLE. I NEED HELP. COULD YOU HELP ME? DO YOU REMEMBER THAT I DISCOUNTED YOUR BILL $10,000? AND THESE PEOPLE WOULD FEEL OBLIGATED TO EITHER FEED HIM OR PUT HIM UP IN THEIR HOUSE OR WHATEVER. AND IN A SENSE, HE WAS STEALING MONEY FROM HIS MASTER, BRIBING THESE PEOPLE SO THAT WHEN HE WAS FIRED, THEY WOULD GIVE HIM uh, SHELTER AND FOOD. NOW, UP UNTIL THIS POINT, THIS IS NOT THAT UNUSUAL. I MEAN, PEOPLE HAVE MISUSED MONEY. THEY HAVE uh, BRIBED OTHER PEOPLE WITH MONEY, AND THEY'VE DONE IT TO MANIPULATE AND TO CONTROL AND TO DO THINGS. SO IT'S NOT THAT UNUSUAL UP UNTIL THIS POINT. BUT HERE IS WHERE I GOT STUCK FOR MANY, MANY YEARS ON THIS PASSAGE OF SCRIPTURE, BECAUSE IT SAYS IN VERSE 8, AND THE LORD, THIS IS TALKING ABOUT HIS MASTER, THE MASTER OF THIS UNJUST STEWARD, THE LORD COMMENDED THE UNJUST STEWARD BECAUSE HE HAD DONE WISELY, BECAUSE THE CHILDREN OF THIS WORLD ARE IN THEIR GENERATION WISER THAN THE CHILDREN OF LIGHT. NOW IN THE NEXT VERSE, VERSE 9, JESUS MAKES THE APPLICATION OF THIS PARABLE AND WHAT WE'RE SUPPOSED TO LEARN THROUGH IT. BUT LET ME JUST COMMENT ON SOME THINGS RIGHT HERE, FIRST OF ALL. THE VERY FACT THAT THIS MAN, WHEN HE WAS APPROACHED BY HIS MASTER AND SAID, PUT YOUR BOOKS IN ORDER, I'M GOING TO CHECK THIS OUT, AND IF WHAT I'VE HEARD ABOUT YOU IS TRUE, YOU'RE GOING TO BE FIRED. AND THE FACT THAT THIS MAN DIDN'T HAVE ANY MONEY THAT WAS SAVED UP SO THAT WHEN HE WAS FIRED, HE'D BE ABLE TO LIVE OFF OF THIS MONEY THAT HE HAD BEEN STEALING, BEEN MISAPPROPRIATING, IT SHOWS YOU THAT THIS MAN HAD NOT THOUGHT ABOUT THE FUTURE. WHATEVER MONEY HE HAD STOLEN, HOWEVER HE HAD MISMANAGED THIS MONEY, HE HADN'T USED IT WISELY. 
He had been blowing it on temporary things. He'd probably been out, you know, buying fancy food, fancy clothes, DVDs, flat screen TVs, whatever. He was just blowing it on these physical things that maybe made him feel good, but he hadn't saved for the future. And you can see that because he says, when I am put out of the stewardship, what am I going to do? I can't dig to beg. I'm ashamed. This, this is an admission that he had nothing saved up. That's an important part of this story. And the reason that the master wound up commending him, it wasn't that he was approving of him stealing money. That's not the lesson here. The lesson is that this man, when he was coming face to face with the fact that he was going to lose his job, he finally realized that I'm managing this money. I've got, I've got power here to influence people. And he had just been using money on temporary things that didn't affect his future. When he was faced with the fact that he was going to be fired, he started using his influence that he had as the steward of his master to influence people for his future. And this is the reason that the master commended him is because finally you've realized that you could use money in a way to influence your future. And instead of just blowing it on temporary things, you're thinking long term. And I tell you, if you are going to prosper in God's system, this is an attitude that you need to develop. You need to quit thinking short term. And this is a major deal right here. Our society today has gone so much into debt. You will hear commercials and people constantly are saying, why do you have to wait, you know, for this? We will give this to you with no interest for the first three months or no interest for the first year. And you can go ahead and get things now that you don't have money for, but get it now and then pay later. And they're just thinking about temporary things. Did you know when you go buy a car and you buy it on credit, you're going to wind up paying for that car many times what it's worth. When you buy a house, I remember the first time I ever bought a house on credit, and when I signed the papers, you know, the United States government makes you disclose what the final payout will be if you just go for 30 years and make these minimum payments. And I was shocked that I would have paid two and a half times what the actual price of that house was. That's what debt does to you. But people will sit there, mortgage their future for the temporary benefit that they have right now. See, that's short-term thinking. And in a sense, that's what this um, unjust steward was doing. He was stealing money from his master, but he wasn't investing it. He did, wasn't saving it. He hadn't hidden it someplace. He was blowing it on temporary things, and he had nothing to show for it. And the reason the master commended him is because finally you've recognized that money has power in it to affect your future. And he quit thinking short term and started thinking long term. This is one of the things that you need to do about money is to recognize that money affects your future. And when Jesus makes the application, he's going to say not only your temporal future right here in this life, but money can affect your eternal future. You can affect what's going to happen in heaven with the money that you have right now. Now, that's a startling statement to a lot of people. I'm going to explain that more on either tomorrow or next week's program. But this is amazing that you can take something, money that's temporary, that only works in this life, and yet it can affect your future in heaven.
Man, if you understand what I'm saying, then to take something like money that's going to pass away, the Bible says everything will be melted with a fervent heat. It doesn't matter if it's diamonds, if it's gold, if it's silver, whatever you got, someday money, everything that we call valuable in this life is going to be over. But you can take something that is temporary now and you can turn it into something eternal that will affect your future a million years from now in eternity. If you understand that, and I will be explaining this in more detail, but if you understand that, you know what? You would sit there and think, God, how little do I have to keep to be a good steward and to meet my needs and the needs of my family and to do what I need to do? And how much can I possibly invest in my future? Man, that's what the Lord commended this unjust steward for. He finally learned that I better use the power of this position, this money, to start affecting my future. And that's the reason that he was commended. You know, I haven't got time to go into the full detail on this, but let me also just point out that it was amazing that this master responded the way that he did. Because just think about this. Let's say that you were to walk into your house and find somebody robbing your house, and they had one of your pillowcases, and they were putting jewelry and electronics and anything that they could get in that pillowcase, and if they were stealing from you, how many of you would find some way to compliment that thief? <laughs> I doubt that there's anybody. Man, you would immediately think, look what I'm losing, and you would see your loss, and uh, you wouldn't be giving out compliments. But this master, his servant was still stealing money from him, and yet this man was detached enough from his money that he could ask you, actually issue a compliment to the guy who he knew had stolen money from him. Now that says a lot about the master. You know what that says? That means that he didn't see his physical money that this man was misusing and misapplying. He didn't see his money, his resources, as his source. He saw God as his source. You know, it's similar to that old uh, nursery rhyme about Jack and the Beanstalk, and he goes up uh, to the clouds, and there's this giant, and he has a goose that lays golden eggs. Did you know if you uh, have the goose that lays the golden egg, it doesn't bother you so much if somebody takes one of the eggs because you got the goose. You got where that came from. There's more to come. And it's kind of that way. If you are making God your source, then if something was to happen, and if it was to diminish your uh, assets at the moment, it really doesn't matter because you've got God. See, th this reaction shows that this man saw himself as a steward. He saw God as his source. And even though somebody was stealing from him, he didn't feel loss. He didn't feel pain. Now, he was going to fire the guy because that's not a good, that's not being a good uh, master. That's not being a good boss if you allow people to steal from you. So he was, there was going to be consequences, but he wasn't so affected by that that it caused him to just, you know, be overwhelmed with the fact he was losing money. He was able to issue a compliment to the very guy that was stealing from him. You know, I'm way over time today, but let me just mention quickly that I've got all of these materials on finances. Please listen to our announcer. He'll give you information about how you can get these, and I promise you, this will change your attitude. It would be a blessing. Listen, and then please call or write today.
Andrew's complete teaching titled Financial Stewardship is available in either a CD or DVD album or as a book or companion study guide. Also available is the Financial Breakthroughs DVD, which includes six true stories of people that experience the freedom of turning their finances over to God. Each of these valuable resources is available for a gift of any amount. Or you can get the Financial Stewardship Package. This package includes the book, study guide, and your choice of either the CD or DVD album, as well as the Financial Breakthroughs DVD. This package has a catalog value of $115, but you can get it today for only $80. Also, Andrew would like to make available his redesigned Living Commentary Bible software. Download your copy of Andrew's Living Commentary and start studying through the Bible with Andrew today. The Living Commentary is available for both Mac and PC for a gift of only $120 exclusively as a download at awmi.net. The individual topic highlighted on today's broadcast is available as an audio CD for a gift of any amount when you write or call. We encourage everyone to give because there's a blessing in giving. But if you're simply unable to afford it, Andrew and his partners will provide today's teaching free of charge. You can order resources or become a Grace Partner through our website at awmi.net. While there, you can discover more product details and download additional free resources. Or call our helpline Monday through Friday from 4.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Mountain Time at 719-635-1111. To write us, use the address on your screen. We appreciate your generosity and hope to hear from you today. We'd like to point out Andrew's upcoming speaking schedule. Mark your calendars to come meet Andrew at one of these events and let the Word of God transform your life. In the month of September, Andrew will be in Woodland Park, Colorado to host the In God We Trust rally with guest speakers Lance Walnow, Richard Harris, Pastor Mark Coward, State Senator Dennis Heisey, and State Representative Mark Baisley. Next, Andrew will be in Washington, D.C. for a Gospel Truth Conference with guest speaker Jeremy Pearsons. Later in September, he'll be in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Also, beginning September 30th, Andrew will be back in Woodland Park to host the annual Ministers Conference with guest speakers Arthur Menches, Carrie Pickett, Audrey Mack, Pastors Bob Yandian, Bob Nichols, and Dwayne Sheriff. For more details on Andrew's next meeting in your area, visit our website at awmi.net. Thanks to the support of our friends and partners, Karis Bible College is able to reach more people with the gospel than ever before through the continued expansion of our campus in Woodland Park, Colorado. Check out our latest construction update at awmi.net. Did you hear about our website? It's new. 
and it's improved. We designed it with you in mind. Now you can browse on all your mobile devices. Everything is where you would expect it to be. And if you can't find something, the search bar will. It's fast, easy, and it just makes sense. Check it out at awmi.net. Hello, this is Andrew Womack, and I'd like to encourage you to check out our Gospel Truth TV. You are going to be blessed, so check it out. It's 24-7, gospeltruth.tv.